This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. The Informer Daily is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. At Joy 94.9, we'd like to pay our ongoing respects to Elders past, present and emerging. The Informer is funded in part by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. And of course, the members and donors of Joy 94.9. This is the Informer Daily for Monday, the 4th of May, 2020. I'm your host, Arian Potts. Today... There's a large pride centre being built in Melbourne. We talked to Peter McEwen from the centre about why it's needed, what stage of construction it's in, and who's going to be located there. We have a review of John Redfern Barrett's novel The Giddy Death of the Gays and the Strange Demise of the Straight. But first, this update. This is Dee Mason with the Joy 94.9 COVID-19 update for Monday, April the 5th. Minister for Population, Cities and Urban Infrastructure Alan Tudge says the federal government will not be extending support to people on temporary visas. He says the government wants to maintain the expectation that temporary visa holders need to support themselves and extending government assistance would cost $20 billion. Over 1.1 million temporary visa holders need support after losing work, including migrant workers, international students and asylum seekers living in the country. Tudge is encouraging anyone who has lost their job and is without family support to go home. A third of people randomly tested in Afghanistan's capital returned positive tests for COVID-19, a concerning result for the country which is yet to start widespread testing. 500 people were included in the random testing in Kabul, bringing the country's total number of tests up to 12,000, with nearly 3,000 positive cases and 85 deaths. It's likely these numbers will increase dramatically as more tests become available. More than 250,000 Afghanis have been in Iran at the beginning of the outbreak and anecdotal reports say dozens of these returnees have died while exhibiting symptoms of COVID-19. United States Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is claiming there is evidence the COVID-19 outbreak started in a lab in Wuhan, but he's not providing any of the alleged evidence. Pompeo also contradicted US intelligence agencies by saying there's proof the virus is man-made, but then immediately stepped back these claims. Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro is being criticised by both left and right-wing commentators in his country for stirring up crowds, protesting his own health ministry's stay-at-home recommendations. The president was seen shaking hands with and embracing the protesters. Brazil's death toll is nearly 7,000 and continuing to grow, with the city of Manaus to start digging mass graves. A seven-year-old Sydney boy has tested positive for COVID-19 after returning to school. Contact tracing has begun to isolate everyone who came into contact with him and Warragamba Public School is now closed for cleaning. Premier Gladys Berejiklian warns more children will likely contract the virus once more schools begin to open next week. Victoria recorded 22 new cases of COVID-19 yesterday, 19 of which have been traced to an abattoir, which is now shut down. Overseas travellers account for two other cases, while the third is still being investigated. Queensland students from kindergarten through years 1 and years 11 and 12 will begin returning to school on the 11th of May, with all other year groups returning on the 25th of May. 
Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk is saying all schools will open when it's practical for them and that every state is different, so they shouldn't be compared in their approaches. This is the Informer Daily on Joy 94.9 and across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Two blocks off of Port Phillip Bay on St Kilda's Fitzroy Street in southeastern Melbourne, a large new building is being constructed. It's the Victorian Pride Centre. Due for completion later this year, there are a lot of exciting things that will be happening once it's open. Amongst them, Joy 94.9 will be relocating to new studios, Minus 18 is moving, as well as a bunch of other organizations. I spoke with Peter McEwen about the center and why it's important. To start, uh, the Pride Center in that's being built in St. Kilda is being topped out or has already reached its maximum height. When did that happen? That happened... Well, it happened a week or so ago, but it took a while to to get a, a ceremony together in a COVID environment. So the whole thing was done um, virtually. But we did have um, the minister there and Commissioner for Equality, Commissioner Allen, and the, the mayor and a couple of mayors, the mayor of Stonington and the, the mayor of um, City of Melbourne and the mayor of Port Phillip. Uh, it was quite quite a gathering, really. Yeah, on on the rooftop. It's in St Kilda, which is on, um, which is in the city of Port Phillip. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. Well, just to provide a little bit further context, um, the if you go to how this centre came about, it came about because uh, a number of community organisations approached the state go- state government because basically um, they were in an insecure position in terms of accommodation um, with not having secure funding not having secure accommodation there's really felt to be a need to put a more sustainable footing there for the community organizations they approached the state government the state government agreed to kick in um, 15 million dollars um, which was not an, enough really to do a centre with. But with that, um, Commissioner Allen put together uh, an expertise-based board um, to drive the project forward. And the first thing we really did was put out an expression of interest to local councils in the inner city and universities uh, to see who would like to come on board and, and provide us with a site. And we had a pretty good response. We had four sites put forward and three different councils. Um, but by far the best was the city of Port Phillip because they were prepared to give us a large site of about 1,500 square metres free, um, freehold. And that, that's worth some $13 million, um, which was a, a massive um, contribution to the project. And from there we went out and with the the Department of Architecture at Monash developed up a brief, went out for a national architecture competition, um, which was run by uh, Dimity, Professor Dimity Reed and people like the state architect. And out of that came a most brilliant design from two, um, a consortium of two local architects, James Brearley, architects and urbanists, and, and Grant Amon, both of whom are, are local architects and came up with a wonderful design. We are well underway. We topped out last week, which means the building has reached its highest point. There's still quite a bit of work to be done internally before we get to 
practical completion by around the first day of October. And then we will have um, organisations progressively moving in and we're looking for an opening. The archives are really a national archives. So in some ways, we've got a number of national institutions and in, in some ways, we are, we are effectively the, uh, the National Pride Centre. How would you describe the way the building looks to a radio audience? Oh, the, it's an extraordinary building uh, because it's it's very, very dramatic design. Uh, now, what it does is is it, it plays homage to the history of St Kilda, which is people would know from Luna Park and the Palais and and uh, various other buildings. Uh, it's got this sort of Moorish architecture with domes. Um, it's always been a sort of a seaside resort from the 19th century. So it plays homage to that. But in essence, it's just a series of, think of tubes and ellipses. It's a series of tubes and ellipses running from the front to the back and a series of tubes and ellipses running from side to side. And where they intersect creates these extraordinary shapes. And so in the centre, there's this atrium, floor to ceiling, going up five levels. And where they, those tubes and ellipses meet, the, the spaces... Uh, are really dramatic, and so there's a there's a massive atrium there, and and a grand staircase, which also should be a meeting area, um, taking people up to the, the the mezzanine where the archives are, and up to uh, level one where most of the resident organisations like Joy and and minus eighteen and switchboard and, and multi-faith, multicultural groups and so on, uh, where they are. So it's, um, think of it almost as a, a chair, Jude describes it as like a beehive. It is a bit like a beehive and it's meant to be a, a beehive too, beehive of activity. But it's, but it looks really dramatic, but in concept, it's incredibly simple, geometric. It's quite brilliant. And amongst the things, um, there's a cafe planned, and I remember that there's going to be a dementia cafe that's run there from time to time by LifeView. It's it's a really interesting concept where it's a way to socialize with somebody who has dementia in an environment where you know the staff kind of know what's going on and things, and they know if somebody orders a coffee with salt that maybe, you know, here's how to de deal with that in a good way. So a nice way to socialize with your loved ones. Oh, most definitely. I mean, I have a sister who, who's got early onset dementia, and the level of distress is heartbreaking. And I can't wait, can't wait personally to be able to take her there, um, somewhere where she feels safe. And that actually goes to the notion, we're going back to the purpose of the centre, why it's there. Um, it's about a place where people feel safe. Um, and it's a place that is ours. So it's sustainable. It's into the future. Not everybody realises this, but we will own that site. So it doesn't matter what, 
governments, what governments are in power, come and go, they can't take it away from us. We will act, the community will own it in perpetuity. So that's the, that's the importance. And if I just might add one other thing about the design, um, apart from you know, how striking it is, um, there's a couple of elements to it. it. It's meant to be a manifestation of pride and therefore it's going to have like a portico coming out over the footpath to the street because we don't believe that we should be shrinking violets, we should hide away. Um, it's meant to be a manifestation of pride. So the portico represents us coming out into the public domain proudly. And in a way, it's reminiscent of the old-style town hall, which, which tend to do that as well, because in a way, it's the LGBTIQ town hall. And, and as well... On the roof, the building's some 15 metres high, um, five storeys or so, um, we have got a flagpole, which is more than another 15 metres, so it doubles the height of, of the building. And we had problems with funding that because we've got a very, very tight budget and we had to eliminate some of those things. Um, but we did a separate crowdfunding campaign and a few individuals came together to fund that because, in a way, it's, it's integral to the building. Because the idea of having a flagpole, again, is about visibility, it's about celebration, and it's about a manifestation of pride. But it's going to be dramatic. It's going to comprise about six tubular towers, which represent the different elements of the LGBTI community. And out of the middle of it emerges a a further flagpole going up 15 metres. So um, those sorts of things, if we don't do them now, would never get done. So um, we're just fortunate to be able to do a crowdfunding campaign um, in order to do that. Then the last little element that's personal to me, which I'd love to see done, is, is a pergola on the rooftop to provide some sort of weather protection What's the significance of the archives moving to this space? I think the archives are absolutely um, central um, to it because basically they represent our memory um, and and our history. Uh, they are of national um, significance. They're the only significant national ar archives, and they. So we've put a lot of effort in, in, into the archives. I mean, they're, they're compactus files. God, they're heavy. We had to especially engineer engineer um, the floors to be able to take um, their, their storage. Um, so it certainly wasn't cheap. But they will be right at the head of the staircase as you come in, right at the top of the staircase. Before you get to the other resident orgs like Joy and so on, you'll see the archives. And, and in fact, they're the only people up in the mezzanine, apart from the Pride Centre staff itself and, and, and a um, conference room, which can also double as a, as a gallery area for the archives because this represents an opportunity to get some of the material out of the archives up on display. And you talk about the archives being at the top of the stairs. Is the building accessible to people with difficulties with mobility? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, the thing about this is that we a huge amount of effort. You have to, when you're designing, you can't do these things after. You have to start off with first principles. And the principle that we tried to achieve was a quality of access. So if you use that as your starting point, what it does is it means the stairs were completely redesigned a couple of times um, with, with that in mind. Um, it means that the access to the lifts has to be equally visible and accessible. It means that there has to be um, areas there where people in wheelchairs or have difficulty of access can still use the stairs and particularly that that mezzanine area which is like an informal meeting area so it's been specifically designed for for that purpose um now a, lo a lot of effort um went into that a lot of effort um with designing and redesigning with that principle of equality of access in mind and and, and that goes to all sorts of things it goes to things like people's sensitivity to too much light or Flashing light. Um, there's there's any number of sort of sensitivities that have to be um, accommodated, or even uh, discrete access for those who don't wish to go through the main entrance. That's been provided for. Uh, there's there's been a huge amount of work and and consultation, um, and consultation with the local um, Aboriginal communities. The architects have been fantastic on that. Um, so that it can be baked into the design, because these things can't be really just add-ons. That's Peter McEwen from the Victorian Pride Centre board. You can find out more about the centre by visiting pridecentre.org.au. This is the Informer Daily on Joy 94.9 and across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Nicholas Kamenu-Sandry has a book review for you. Take it away, Nick. This week I wanted to talk about a book with a hell of a title. It's, um, so it's called The Giddy Death of the Gays and the Strange Demise of Straits. Um, that title is a hell of a mouthful, unlike my ex. Tish. <laughs> Sorry about that. I had to. Um, so The Giddy Death of the Gays and the Strange Demise of Straits by Redfern John Barrett is self-described as polyamory propaganda. So the book is about polyamory, which is a subset of the LGBTQIA plus community. We do have a polyamory subset. Now, not everyone in our community is polyamorous. In fact, I hazard to say most people are not. But this is a small but growing movement. And this book wants to focus in on that. Um, so the main story of this book is that there are two guys. So Dom and Richard. And these two men fall in love with each other. But one of them has a girlfriend. And they love this other man. But they also love their girlfriend. And they want a situation in which they can express that love for both of them. Um, and so after some drama, as you know, 
because the n- things never happen smoothly in fiction or in reality. Um, the girlfriend and the guy's other friend who he's attracted to agree to a polyamorous setup just to be like, let's let's find out how it goes. Let's find out how this type of relationship would be. Um, and because they decide that that is within the bounds of what they're willing to accept. Everyone consents. So even if it doesn't work out, nobody is being violated by doing so. You know, if it just, if it doesn't work out, then they'll just, you know, say, well, we tried, but it didn't work out. So we'll stop. The book's basically about their relationship and them trying to find stability there. And, you know, to say that they end up together by the end of the book is probably a spoiler, but you know that that's what the book is about the book is about a polyamorous relationship and it is polyamory propaganda so yeah they they do end up together but the interesting thing is watching the way that the relationship develops and that i think is probably enough to sell someone on the book it's a polyamorous romance story um but i would say that to the book but To both the book's benefit and its detriment, that's not the only plate that it has spinning. So it's not just about the idea that polyamorous relationships can happen and are valid. Um, But also, there's a few other ideas that the book wants to juggle simultaneously as that one. Um, The second one is the separation of romantic love from sexual lust. There's the idea that just because you love someone, it doesn't necessarily mean that you want to have sex with them. Um, Now, that's something that the ace community or the ace spectrum is probably much further ahead along than the uh, than the rest of the LGBT community, I would say. Um, you know, people who are demisexual, demiromantic, aromantic, asexual, or people who just don't have a romantic orientation that lines up perfectly with their sexual orientation. Sometimes one doesn't quite cover the full spectrum of the other. And the book basically tells us this through the romantic but not sexual relationship of two of its characters. And this book has quite a large cast. It's an ensemble. So, um, you know, it uses multiple characters to illustrate certain things. So that's the second idea that it's juggling. And the third idea is that of uh, eliminating gender from language. So this book has a polyphonic narrator. So there are four voices in the narration. There are three. So three of whom are basically the the individuals who make up the polyamorous relationship. So they're Dom, Richard, and Catherine. And that, you know, makes perfect sense. The polyamorous relationship, you know, it, it requires the mutual consideration of everyone's perspective. And so from a literary form standpoint, it makes sense that you would adopt a polyphonic narrator where every character's voice is heard. Now, the fourth voice in the narration is a character named Ruti. And Ruti is a non-binary person who is both and neither a man or a woman. Um, And so Ruti is uh, somebody who tries to deconstruct gender through their narration. And I'm using they, them pronouns, but Ruti uses invented pronouns in narration to refer to every character. Now, that's not different pronouns for every character. What it is is that Ruti vehemently refuses to use any pronouns other than 
sie, her, um, which are invented pronouns. So Ruti might say, I walked up to her and sie said to me, regardless of whether they're talking to a man, woman or non-binary person. And so the person's gender who they're talking to is completely obscured in the narration. Uh, and that, I found, was actually quite interesting. So there are a few instances in the novel where, for example, there'd be this flat side character who only shows up for a scene. As you do in any literature, this is quite common. But because in Ruti's narration, I wouldn't know whether this flat throwaway character was a man or a woman because Ruti would not tell me and also because the gender uh, the pronouns were non-gendered i would be sort of almost trying to decipher whether or not the character was a man or a woman from you know details that ruti mentioned um and didn't and and i noticed that i was doing that even though the person's gender was not relevant to the scene whatsoever you know they're a flat character they show up for as a side character for one scene, they do their one particular purpose. It doesn't involve their gender whatsoever, and they leave the scene. And I'd be like, but what was their gender? And the fact that I so deeply wanted to know that was sort of... In, it said more about me than it said about the novel, and so that was quite a interesting and fun revelation for me. I've probably made this book sound a little bit literary, a little bit stuffy, you know, because I've described most of what's going on at like the structural level. But the story itself is quite good. So the story is mainly focused on the polyamorous relationship. And it's also about uh, the city of Swansea, Wales, becoming engulfed in uh, political terror uh, as more violence occurs in the streets due to a inciting incident of a club being set on fire. So there are right-wing conservative groups and LGBT activist groups who start clashing in the streets. The polyamorous um, relationship is sort of caught up in the middle of this. They obviously are on the LGBT side. Um, but also our non-binary friend is having to deal with that as well. And they uh, the story follows them all around their adventures through the city as they try to discover themselves. I found it incredibly entertaining. It's, full of, it's incredibly naughty. It's full of, uh, like inappropriate jokes and you know uh adult content um and just non sequiturs that go off in bizarre directions and so i like if you want a book to be entertained i recommend it if you want a book to juggle interesting ideas i recommend it the title the giddy death of the gays and the strange demise of straits by redfern john barrett pick it up read it enjoy it love it i hope you do uh have a good day that's it for us today. Thanks to Nicholas Kamenyusandri, Dee Mason, Emily Johnston, and Jordan Johnstone. I'm your host and executive producer, Arian Potts. We'll be back tomorrow, live on tape from my lounge room. Mahalo. Informer is funded in part by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. And of course, the members and donors of Joy 94.9. You can help us by visiting joy.org.au and become a member or donate. Any amount helps us bring you community-powered radio. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.